We're back! We're back! It's distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? Doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing extra good because our guest this week is GQ Magazine's own Gabriella Paella. How you doing, Gabby? Wow. Hey, guys. I'm good. Gabby is with us. She is fresh off of profiling the immortal Nicolas Cage, the white whale of all magazine profile subjects. How did you score an interview with Nicolas Cage? Oh, that's a great question. Well, first, um, I pitched him in basically every meeting for three years straight um, oh, until finally <laughs> he did have a peg, uh, which is this movie uh, in which he plays himself, uh, which is, I think, the best time to possibly profile Nicolas Cage. Um, so, you know, then all this negotiation happened, you know, above me and uh, made it happen. And then I, you know, flew to Vegas to to greet him at his door where he was wearing a kung fu suit. As one does when That's one right. is Nicolas Cage and one is meeting a reporter who wants to write about them. Yeah. Were you jazzed when he opened up the door in his kung fu suit? Sorry, Drew. Can you repeat that? Now I'm cutting out. Ah! <laughs> Sorry. I said, That's okay. That's okay. Were you jazzed when, you, uh, when he opened up the door uh, in his kung fu suit and you saw him that way? Oh, my God. Absolutely. I felt like time suspended for a second. And then I was like, yes, let's go. We're doing it. Nick Cage is in a kung fu suit. That's fucking great. Did did he look comfortable? Like, did you did you want to buy a kung fu suit for yourself to just chill out in after you saw him so relaxed? Yeah, absolutely. I was like, this is a loungewear concept I haven't thought about before. But it was like very elegant and yet comfortable. He definitely sold me on it. I like the idea of him having one for guests. Like, he'd be like, would you like <laughs> to change into a key? Yeah, that would be great. Join me by the pool. Did he have like a pet iguana like on his shoulder when he was wearing the kung fu suit? You know, he did it, but I will. Here's a secret from the story. For space, I had to cut out like 10 more pets that were at his house. <laughs> oh, yes. I want, I want to hear all the pets. Okay. So, uh, well, my number one goal in doing this story, I was like, I got to go to the crow dome. I knew he had had, he had a crow living in a dome at his house. Uh, so <laughs> we, we talked to the crow. I, in that, I literally talked to the crow and he talked to me. Um, and then we have his cat Merlin. Uh, then he had a bunch of, uh, marine life in, in aquariums all over his kitchen and bar area. Um, then he had two more cats that we don't mention, two dogs outside, <laughs> and then like another bird in the corner. Fantastic. What, what yeah. kind of bird? I think the other bird was like a parakeet or something. I didn't. I didn't like like that. a colorful bird, like a tropical bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pet crow is honestly like this is. I think one of the delights of reading the story, which I, I recommend very highly to everybody. I'll link it in the the blog post that we do for this. But uh, it manages to deliver all the Nick Cage shit you need. Like you're getting a hundred and five percent of your USDA allowance of Nicolas Cage <laughs> in every paragraph of the thing. And yet there's still, I mean, he comes through as like a, a real guy, kind of a weird guy, but like pet crow is a level of Nicolas Cage. Like if you just left me alone in a sensory deprivation tank to think of Nicolas Cage things for six hours, I wouldn't get to pet crow. Like I, my brain is not, it's too limited. And yet that is very clearly like the thing that Nicolas Cage should have in the dome in his home. Well, I'm a bit disappointed that it's only one crow. There wouldn't be a full murder of crows. How did he, did you, so how did he come to become a crow dad? Does he, does he walk you through why this bird is in particular uh, one that he wanted to have around? Oh, interesting. You know, we didn't get into that. Okay. Uh, I guess you but... could just be like, oh, all right. Yeah, that's your pet crow. <laughs> Did he, was it a special, did it look like just a regular ass crow or was it like, did it have like a special plumage or anything like that? I know it fucking talked, but did it have anything else going on with it? 
Uh, I looked it up afterwards. It is a special kind of crow. It had like a, um, like white belly feathers, and it, it is a specific kind of. I mean, they're very intelligent animals. This is a. I'm going off on a tangent now, but I do love crows. Like I find them to be very fascinating. There's this whole Harper's article that came out last year about them. So, um, more crow reading if you want. Yeah, yeah. I think, I'm, I'm happy to go. We can just turn this into a bird cast. It's nothing. Yeah, let's do it. Gabby, we don't have Gabby, anything else. This is Gabby, it. This, as soon as we're done talking about Nicolas Cage, we're all going home. Gabby, so. this podcast is nothing but useless tangents. So don't ever <laughs> be afraid to be like, listen, I love crows, and uh, and I love to go to the Crow Dad Festival every year. Like we we we're all we're all about that. I go to Crow Dad Boils because I think they're delicious. <laughs> uh, can I ask you? So he meets you in a kung fu outfit. Mm. He's got a crow dome. Because if you have a crow, you have to have a dome for it. It needs a dome. Yeah, did you, or did you, a dome. Did you feel as if Nicolas Cage was presenting an image of Nicolas Cage to you sort of deliberately? It was a bit performative. Or did you feel like that was a real person sort of having the, having the balls to just be who he is uh, in, a, in a world where celebrities are so careful about managing their own image? Yeah, th no, that's a great question. I think it was really a combination of both. Um, like I left it with the sense that he is very earnestly into everything he's into. Um, he is very eccentric. He does think about these things really deliberately. Um, at the same time, you know, this is someone who's been in the public eye for 45 years. So he does have a sense of, um, you know, his persona. This whole movie is, is sort of wrestling with that. So, you know, naturally... Um, yeah, the Kung Fu outfit, I'm sure, was a choice, but I also think it's what he enjoys relaxing in. This is also the movie that gets him out of debt, right? Like, this mm -hmm. is, like, the one that's the last check. Oh, that that's been, right. Because he's been right. building towards that so much of... I think some of the best work he's done as an actor has been in the last few years. Like, in I, I Love Mandy, I think his acting in Pig is the best acting I've ever seen him do. Like, not the most acting I've ever seen him do, but, like, <laughs> it's the, you know, the most kind of, like, refined... But he's been doing all these like paycheck projects where he just like goes to Romania and makes like six movies in six months. And this is the one. So like the whatever it's called, the unbearable weight of staggering. Massive genius, talent. Whatever it's called. Epic talent. All right. That like that. This is it. Like so theoretically, he could just go back to doing Nicolas Cage stuff after this. Um. Yeah. I mean, his next project, he's playing Dracula. Great. So, so that's, oh, that I would saw be the a stills. Good, good definition stills. of Nicolas Cage stuff. There is a uh, yeah, the, the stills where he's like he's like all white in it, like he well, clearly is uh, making some choices there. I'm gonna defend uh, Cage on that because every time they show like footage from the set of like Benedict Cumberbatch is like Doctor Strange, like before the movie comes out, you're like that looks like shit. That looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But then like on film, it looks good. Like they actually, you know, it, it it's like how it's like how if you if you ever been in a stage production. And I have, and you and you put on the makeup and all that stuff, and you look in the mirror backstage, you look ludicrous. But that's because they need you. You have to go under the lights, and then you look normal for what your character's supposed to look like. So, I'll give him a break on that. And frankly, I just want Nick Cage to play Dracula. It's something I didn't know I wanted, but now I need it quite quite badly. Gabby, is Wait, do you can, feel can we back up? Can we back up? What stage productions were you in? Yeah, that's I was in. I was in, in. Uh, You Can't Take It With You. I was the disapproving father in You Can't Take It With You, which is an old, old play. Mm -hmm. I think it was a, a Spencer Tracy movie or some shit like that. And then I was the director in high school. I was the co-director, which means I was just a gopher for the, the music teacher. 
for Fiddler on the Roof. I didn't get to be in Fiddler on the Roof, but I was the, <laughs> I was the co-director of that. That's show. where uh, Drew that's... first learned uh, his abiding respect for Yiddish language and culture, which that's is right. basically all we talk about when we're not on the <laughs> podcast. He's like, "New Lanzmann," and I'm like, "You are appropriating my shit right now. Don't ever say that to me." My job was to give hand signals to. The kid who was doing the lighting so he could turn the stage lights on for, like, act two and shit like that. I so, would, the idea of your... So people should know that you went to a, a pretty high-toned private high school. The idea of you guys doing Fiddler on the Roof is, like, I'm fairly close to being offended by that, but mostly I'm delighted by it. This was also... This is my Minnesota school, so it's all Minnesotans doing oh, it. Oh, nice. All right. So it's Minnesota, like, the most Jewish of states. Yeah. You know, uh, you know obviously... Lars Thorson is Tevia. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So let's get back on topic. And even though I, I'm more than happy that Gabby was able, wanted to ask me about that. But Gabby, uh, I want to talk more Cage with you because uh, Cage had all these animals. Uh, did you feel that he like? Why do you think he had all these animals? Like, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's why. I want, why, why, why do celebrities own so many goddamn pets? It's just because they can. Yeah, I mean, I. Since he has like a he has a deep connection to these animals, especially his uh, his main coon, his best friend. Um, but he's always, you know, OK, before I wrote this profile, I went back and I read every single interview Nicolas Cage has done for the last like 45 years. And in every single one, he has some new interesting pet he's showing the reporter. So this yeah. is clearly a, a lifelong passion for him. This was always part of how I thought he ran out of money, too, was because I remember reading that, too, where he'd be like, oh, I have a little bit of alligator energy myself, and that's why I have these alligators running around my home. You know, and it's sort of like, and when you are stacking that up along with all the other stuff, which I think he very reasonably didn't want to talk about in there, like, you can't ask about the ziggurat he's constructed for himself in New Orleans or whatever. It's just not, you know, what he's trying to talk about at this moment. But yeah, the idea of being, like, being a serial pet person is a red flag to me, unless you're Nicolas Cage, I think. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like he really yeah. is just a guy that develops a lot of really intense connections to different animals yeah, as it's part like, of his process. it's like Johnny Depp has a bunch of castles and houses, but that's because he's an alcoholic asshole. And, like, yeah. as opposed to Cage, I do get the sense from your profile, or I do get the sense that, that it was just that he was something that he was interested in and had genuine affection for. So I thought that was kind of... A nice difference. Although maybe he's like Lena Dunham and he just keeps killing animals that are in his care and he just has to no. restock them with like new tigers and saber, it's like not saber tooth panthers scenario. and stuff like that. Uh, Gabby, can I ask you about, did Cage get back to you after the story ran? Did you hear from him or his camp? Like, did he like it? Did he dislike it? Was there um, anything he had I did not, no. Not from him directly. Not from him directly, no. Well, wait. Uh, well, then... Did you hear from anybody else then? Um, I think I heard from his camp that he seemed to be pleased with it. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Did you did you ever ask him about his fight with Vince Neal in Las Vegas that got caught on tape? No, that did not come up. <laughs> oh. All right. All right. So But that, I know still, what you're talking about, yes. There there's still meat on the bone then. It could be could be something that, that future profilers, if they have a chance, they it is a pretty answer. rich text. It, yeah. I mean, if you're gay, I mean, I kind of think that who hasn't gotten into a fight with Vince Neal outside the Las Vegas airport, but you know, when it's Nicolas Cage and it's caught on tape, uh, it is a kind of a metaphor for my own process that within me there is a Vince Neal and Nicolas Cage and they wrestle forever for control of, of my work. Uh, Gabby, can I talk to you about how you got to not because you've been doing a lot of great celebrity profile interviews for GQ. How did you, what was your first 
big celebrity profile and how did you prepare for it? And how has your preparation for those profiles evolved since then? Mm. So I, I think the first serious one I did was um, the comedian Rob Delaney. You guys oh, are familiar we love with Rob him. Delaney. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, very much. Was I that for GQ or is that for somewhere else? No, this was for New York Mag, uh, where I worked before this. Um, okay. And yeah, I mean, I was sort of driven by this is a person whose work, you know, I find very meaningful and I enjoy. And the lights in the supply closet I'm in just went <laughs> off. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is hilarious. Just for background, people, uh, Gab Gabby is. Uh, podcasting with us from the GQ office, but she had to go into a supply closet in order to get uh, proper sound. So She's now I making her way through it in what looks like a found footage horror movie. You know you know what it is? <laughs> I think it's there like, is. Is, it, is one of those things where it's like an office bathroom where it's on, it's a motion sensor light, and if you don't move while you're like, while you're <laughs> using gonna the loo. It's going to happen like two more times over the yeah. course of the interview. That's okay. That's <laughs> all right. So we were talking about Rob Delaney. Yeah, it was just, you know, um, I hadn't done a ton of profile writing at that point, but it was someone whose work I was very much a fan of um, and wanted to do a big serious profile of him that hadn't really been done yet. Um, so it started from there. And that's I think that's how I've kind of been guided in what I pitched, just someone whose work I find meaningful or interesting in, in some way. Were you happy with that profile or are there things where you look at back on now where you're like, oh, now that I've done a lot of profiles, I would change this or that or anything like that. Mm. No, I'm I'm happy with that one. There's definitely, you know, I get this a lot where I'll I'll go back and read and say, oh, you know, I could have made this sentence better, but I actually don't go back and reread my work a ton. Do you do that, Drew? <laughs> of course I do all the time. Now I sometimes I do. I usually what I do, and I think I I think I told Roth this is that I know I've written something good if I reread it a lot right after it's posted, where I'm like, oh, it's yeah. really good, Drew. Like, I do I do it right in the moment, but I don't do it, like, like I don't go back to, like, my novels, like, like I'm not sitting, like, in my study, like, reading the post-mortal, like, every night, being like, this is such a good book that I've, that I've done. That would be really weird. <laughs> but I do, I do look back sometimes, and I look back, and I see, like, mistakes. It's, like, things I would do different, but I don't, I don't beat myself up over it. I beat myself up over, like, there's one, I profiled Scott Stapp for GQ. Yes, classic. And, and I actually, I do have some regrets about that one. And he was very upset about it, and his camp was very upset about it. Um, and were I you, feel, Were you nasty to Scott Stapp? I, I think, I thought I was fair. They thought it was very nasty. And I thought in some ways that, like, I think I was too eager um I, th I think in some ways the profile punched down a little bit at a guy who had had a lot of problems and, you know, was, was not, you know, this is a guy who was, who needed publicity for a new band and stuff like that. And, you know, it had a lot of problems with, with addiction. And so I, you know, I, I, I have regrets about that. And I think, you know, if I, if I saw Scott Stapp, I'd be like, Hey, you know, I'm not sure I did right by you on that. And then he would spit in my face and punch <laughs> me. But that's, that's about it. Have you, um, were there any pro subjects you profiled people that you disliked interviewing or had a tough time interviewing? Oh, I can't speak about that on the record. I figured, I figured. <laughs> Come on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any, there's never been anyone I've like disliked, but some people are just, you know, more forthcoming than others or, you know, have more of a life story to tell than others for sure. That's what I was thinking just in terms of, uh, you know, Delaney and Nicolas Cage, you've got two people with, 
interesting lives who take their work seriously. I mean, Delaney, to me, seems like one of the most enlightened people that has become famous during my lifetime, probably. Mm -hmm. Just seems like a really, especially given that, like, his initial introduction to me was, like, as the guy on Twitter in a Speedo that was like, I'm hashtag Harry, and then it would just be, like, Harry Dads. Like, that was, like, (laughs) the type of post that made him. And then you get, like, Catastrophe and all of this, you know, incredible advocacy work he's done about public health in, in the UK and here and stuff like that. I think the thing for me as somebody who hasn't done a celebrity profile, and I should represent that it's a narrow portion of the demographic and of our listenership, but I am the one person on this podcast that hasn't profiled (laughs) a famous person. I always felt like not just, you know, the the formulaic elements of, of celebrity profiling are like known. You guys are both really good at avoiding them, which is why you're good at it. I never understood exactly how that sausage got made. Not to say that I haven't eaten a lot of that particular sausage in my life, but there's, I feel like you can tell when a celebrity profile isn't working or was just sort of like handed down because like somebody's got a new movie coming out because the writer is like pumping it up and trying to like not just make it into a showcase for the writer's own brilliance, but they're like, they got 30 minutes with Penelope Cruz over a salad and then they have to make that 3,500 words. I know what you're referencing. So I'm, yes, yeah, specifically. I know exactly <laughs> what you're referencing. Everybody knows what I'm referencing. Everyone knows it wasn't a salad that she was eating. We're all on the same page here. But it is, I do think there's like, I guess that part of it I'm kind of curious about. And I'd actually love to, if both of you were to answer this. Like, when you are talking to these people, obviously you've both been lucky to get people that, for good or ill, are giving you good copy. Like, are you thinking in any way structurally about what you're going to write, or are you just trying to have the most interesting conversation that you can in the allotted time that you have? I'll let Gabby answer that first. Yeah, I mean, I think I like to have an idea of what I want to get out of it um, Mm -hmm. when I'm going in, but I'm also often surprised. I mean, with Cage, I was surprised. I didn't know he was out of debt, for instance. Um, He really wanted to speak about his father. That was not something I was, like, going in expecting to speak about. But... Yeah, I like to have like a general idea of what I'm getting out of it. Um, and then if I'm surprised, that's great. If they don't want to talk about it, you know, that's not great, but you'll you'll figure something out. But um, I also try not to be like too rigid. Like I feel like when I first started interviewing and profiling people, I would go in with like my questions written down question for question. And then that's just a weird conversation. So yeah, you have to is. have a little bit of flexibility. Yeah. You want, you want it to be natural. And if you have like a list, like they know you have a list and you're looking down at a sheet of paper and it's like, it's hard. I remember I would type out the questions and I would have them on me, like in my back pocket. And that would help me remember them. Like I would, I would have a pretty good memory of the list of questions. And so if there was anything like toward the end, like I would try to have a natural conversation and try and work those in. And if they said something interesting to me, like when the Duck Dynasty people like started just spewing like a lot of anti-gay shit at me, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is going in. Like, uh, and yeah. I, but I, but I never am like, I, I, I always told people whenever I had a profile that I, you know, cause they, they want, cause it's like a celebrity and it's their peer handlers and they're like the thing that they fear is you having an agenda. So, I always say to them, I don't, you know, I don't have an agenda because I don't fucking know this person. I got to get to know this person before I know what the hell I'm going to write, which is true. But then also you can have a, you can, you know, if you're profiling someone like Nicolas Cage or someone like that, you're going to have a pretty good idea of of what you're going to want to ask them and things like that. Um, But I did, I think to, 
to that end, Roth was sort of hinting at something that, that I wanted to ask you, Gabby, which is that I think it's hard to, at, at times when you read a profile, a lot of profiles just come across as, as PR for the peg, right? Like they have a new, new movie coming out. This is why we're interviewing. And I've, and I've done profiles like that. And I think that you are very skilled at writing profiles that serve the reader and not the subject. And has that been a challenge for you? Is it a challenge for you to do that, not only um, in terms of getting the celebrities to, to talk to you honestly, but also in terms of, of how you feel about them, because it's very easy to get sort of uh, charmed by the access that you have to them in the immediate uh, you know, sort of vicinity. Yeah. I mean, thank you for saying so. I don't, I think it really depends on the profile. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of people have talked about the death of the celebrity profile, like, you know, much more extensively than I have. Um, I don't think it's like fully dead, but I, I do think that, you know, subjects going into it uh, are a lot more careful than they used to be for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you're just not going to get a lot, a ton of stuff out of them, but it's, it's sort of your job to make it interesting, you know? Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, well, um, also because I also think about from from the celebrity side of it, like what's the upside? Like what's the upside of talking to like the New York Times or something like that? We can, all all that can happen is I say something that fucks myself. Yeah, I don't. I would never do it personally. <laughs> That's I what I this comes through in the cage thing. That's different because I think he really does want to be understood in a certain mm -hmm. sense. Like, he wants to be seen a certain way. He wants to be seen as a serious artist, and he's always, I guess, wanted to be seen as a serious artist. But because I'm, I'm reading the um. The Keith Phipps book about him, The Age of Cage, right yeah. now. I would love to do another Cage cast at some point in the future. There's no way. Uh, your time is too valuable for me to give you every thought that I have on Nicolas Cage. You've got to get back to work, and so do I. But he's always had, like, he's been very willing to speak in these very florid, artistic terms about, like, what he's trying to do and his approach and how he's tweaking it and all that. Like, I guess that part of it. I think is, is interesting in this profile because like he's not pushing the movie that's out necessarily. Like he's sort of like, he's working, I guess some of this is just that he's such an earnest guy, but it, it feels like he's talking to you about himself in a way that is it, like, I don't think it would have been different if you weren't recording it. Like it just sort of feels mm. like this is how he talks about himself and thinks about himself and would talk to somebody who was asking him thoughtful questions. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, I think part of it is also, I just, um, I interviewed a lot of people around him before I went in for it. So I got a sense of what he was like as a person. And so sort of tried to steer him into um, subjects in which I felt like he would be able to talk more earnestly or sincerely or openly, uh, you know, versus not. Which uh, makes some sense. We have to take a break real quick. We'll come right back with Gabby Paella of GQ Magazine. And we're back with Gabby Paella of uh, GQ Magazine. So let's move on, because we talked to you. We've we've asked you every Nick Cage question I think we can ask. By the way, you call him Nicholas all throughout the profile. Does he not like being called Nick? Oh, no, I think he was fine with Nick, but he want, he really wanted to clarify that there's a K at the end of Nick. Oh, that right? was what I Because I've seen it, and I see a lot, and I didn't know if... Uh, but, he's, but he's not... But he, there's no H in his name. So the H doesn't become a K. It's just N-I-C-O-L-A-S. Wait, is that how it works? The H becomes a K? 
Yeah, that's I'm, just science. You didn't know I'm, that? That's embarrassing. Yeah, I don't... I, Drew, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have COVID, okay? Just, maybe it's long COVID. I don't know. Uh, let's talk... Lexicographical COVID. All right, let's be super annoying and talk to you about uh, some of the... Uh, I'm going to ask you generalities about the other celebrities you profile, because you profiled a lot. So, uh, okay. can you tell us, how was Danny McBride... Oh, you know, I've never profiled him. I've just uh, just interviewed him. He's great. Super funny. All right. All right. What, okay. What about Steve Buscemi then? Because you did profile him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just absolute legend, you know, really thoughtful, um, really reflective, has amazing old New York stories because he was part of this, uh, you know, East Village downtown theater scene for so many years. Just like, yeah, absolute legend. I remember it was not your profile of Buscemi. It was, it was another one. And it was... It was someone they wrote, like, he's shockingly handsome in person. And if I were Steve Buscemi, I'd be like, hey, man, fuck. Yeah, yeah fuck you. <laughs> like, getting described as deceptively athletic, and you're like, Cause I, oh, because of how bad I look. Yeah. Terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, what about Robert Eggers? You just, uh, you just talked to Robert Eggers, uh, director of The Northman. Uh, was he cool to talk to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he thinks about every part of his craft, I think, really really specifically um but i love that movie uh so it was exciting to talk about is it, it. good you've seen it yeah, yeah. i want to did, um, did you oh go ahead oh i just thought it was it was incredible it was really good i'm not like i'm not a big action movie person i'm not a big horror person like i hate violence and i was like this fucking rules yeah was it was it better than the lighthouse because i watched the lighthouse and for the first hour i was like this is kind of cool like i'm down with how this works and by the end i was like I'm kind of tired of this. This is like, this is overly arty for my, for <laughs> even for even my sensibility. Uh, no, I mean, there's more characters, first of all. It's not just like two guys <laughs> two trapped with men. each other. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's good. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of hairy men, um, some women too. Uh, no, I think you'll enjoy it. It's just like very much a classic action movie. It's very, it's like an epic in the way that you don't get to make epics anymore because everything is like a superhero movie. Um, but it got its $90 million budget and you can tell they really used it. Did it cost $90 million? Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh. You don't get Bjork for free, man. You think she's just going to show up on set yeah. and get out of bed for less than, uh, I don't know how much you have to pay. That is, that's half your... That's half your budget right there. What about I'm excited about it, though. In a way, it seems like unfussy in a way that I have found his other movies a little bit fussy. Like, I'm sure it's still very committed to the bit, but at some point it's like, yeah, $90 million plus a commitment to 20 minutes of sword violence over the course of the running time. Like, I guess it has a way of focusing the mind. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it's good. I'm excited to see it. Well, I liked, I liked The Lighthouse in terms of, like, it was two, like, it was two really good actors. They're stranded on an an island and they're like they're just going absolutely fucking insane like their characters are going insane and that like like i read books like that you know so i was like i was all into that but it just got a little like like eventually there was like i need a bit more of a plot than two guys just die on an island together like i needed i needed something i need a bit more structure in there that's all and that's yeah. why i would tell robert eggers if i interviewed him face to face clearly <laughs> i would actually like, why didn't you make it more like shutter island yeah you really like that uh, what about Paul Schrader? Did you meet Paul Schrader for your oh, interview? God. No, that was on Zoom. Paul Schrader was uh, exactly what you would want Paul Schrader. Yeah, no to be one like. meets Paul Schrader <laughs> unless you're at like Cantor's in Los Angeles, in which case you have a 100% chance of meeting Paul Schrader. <laughs> it was a good movie, that Car Counter movie. I liked that movie. So I loved what it. What is yeah. talking to. He, I feel like he would be the most intense person to talk to imaginable in like three or four different ways. Was he like a, a charming man in any way? Paul Schrader? Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a no. Yep. 
He just lacked the debonair suavity that you'd expect from the author of fucking Taxi Driver. Yeah, all right. I guess I get it. He's just like one of those like hard-boiled old old types who just like will tell you his opinion on everything, doesn't hold back, which is a great interview. Like I love love talking to people like that. Yeah, there's a great uh, Twitter account that's just – it just takes his Facebook (laughs) posts and reposts them on Twitter so you can find them because like – He's not going to be on Twitter, but he's for sure, like, on Facebook just sort of being like, I don't like Willem Dafoe anymore. He's gained weight. <laughs> You're just like, what are you doing, man? Like, you don't need to post that. Well, I'd yeah. tell you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, during Card Counter, he uh, the studio made him stay off Facebook for two months, and he would, like, come back every few weeks and then be like, okay, no, I'm gone for real. Like, sorry, the studio said I really can't be on. <laughs> and I thought being, like, being able to... Unable to like resist Twitter was a bad thing. Being unable to re- resist Facebook is like a whole other malady. Yeah, he's I like eighty even... though. Like that's yeah. where he belongs to a certain extent. Like he's you know doing... what? I can't point. say that I'd be doing things any different if I was a Calvinist raised super genius in my eighties. <laughs> like uh, you also talked to Marianne Williamson for GQ. Did you see her in person or was that a phone or a Zoom interview? No, that was over the phone. Uh... Did you did you get any healing powers through the phone line <laughs> with her? Uh, oh gosh, I wish, but you know what? Bringing it back to birds, we talked birds. So, oh, yeah. it's always about Full birds. Circle. Did you what? Which birds were crows involved, or were there more sort of mystical birds? Uh, no, she's into the like. Find me the weirdest, coolest looking bird, and I'm gonna like post it on Twitter. I don't. Do you guys follow her? Oh, that's right. You wrote about that. Those are yeah. those are yeah. bitching those photos. I like those. Those are totally cool. She seems. I I kind of don't want to know what percentage of the world I agree with her on, but she seems like she's living exactly the life that she wants to live. This is the only time I'm going to compare Paul Schrader and Marianne Williamson on this podcast, but they seem like they kind of fit together in their own way. Like they're each in their own lanes, which are completely parallel to each other. And yet they're, uh, they're living their lives. uh, She's also, she's one of those people, she's one of those celebrities where I like them. And then, but like once a month, they'll say something that just makes me want to fucking die. Like, like Rex Ryan will do the same thing too. So it's like it's like <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I don't know whether I should take the one thing that they said that annoyed me as their entire persona, or if I should cut them a little bit of a break. Did you like her, Gabby? And do you still like her? Oh, I mean, I'm not like a fan of hers politically necessarily. I just find her to be an interesting person yeah. uh, who has her own point of view, like you said. And I thought the bird stuff was funny. And uh, yeah, I like a. A constant poster, so something in my wheelhouse. We uh, that's that's like the actual through line of the different people that you've profiled. That you've got like Rob Delaney, Marion Williamson, Paul Schrader, poster of a kind. We uh, we have a we're having a bit of a short podcast due to the fact that that I have COVID and and people were a bit pressed for time. So I did want to get to some. We should clarify that that's not a bit, Drew. Yes, I, I I have actual. Real deal COVID, which I am not that it would be from. a great bit. I just want to, you know, people to know that's not. I actually, I actually feel better today than I have since I first got it on Friday. So I'm in one of those things. I'm in one of those parts of the sickness where, where it's like I'm better, and then like six hours later, you get hit in the head with a sledgehammer. Like I'm right yeah. in that that good oh. lull. So yeah. I'm, that was I'm my just, experience of it too. Was just getting like the you know now that's what I call COVID, like, speed run of <laughs> symptoms. But I had them all for, like, a little while, and then they went away. This is why it's good to get vaccine boosted and all that stuff. Uh, for but. two days, I didn't think I had it. I was like, oh, it's a cold. Oh, this cold's annoying. And then in the middle of the night on fr- on Saturday, oh, I was like, I was like, wait a second. My hand hurts in, like, weird ways. Like, Oof. 
this isn't a cold. I know what the fuck this is. Go down and take the test. And the stripe, like, could not have been thicker. <laughs> like, like the little stick may have well have been like, Drew, you have COVID. <laughs> uh, so we, we have to remember a guy. Every week, Gabby, we remember mm-hmm. an athlete of your. Uh, would you like to remember an athlete with us, even if you don't know who it is? Uh, sure. I can maybe name five athletes total. So. Oh, all right. Can you name this athlete? His name... Carlos Boozer. Do you remember him, Gabby? No. Roth, do you remember Carlos Boozer? Yes, very well I remember Carlos Boozer. Uh, good NBA career for a guy that couldn't do any of the things that NBA power forwards do now. I think his big, like, so the things that I remember about him beyond being, like, an effective double-double guy was uh, mysterious painted on hair for a That's, little while. That, that is mostly doing. what I remember Carlos Boozer for. To and then, his do you remember when he rented his house to Prince and Prince entirely repainted and redecorated the interior That's of it? That's right! Yeah. That's this right! This is like a, a, a good little like non-basketball Carlos Boozer bit. Oh, he he apparently God. like came back and was like, dude, there's fucking Paisleys in every room. Like how I did not authorize this. And Prince was like, I'm sorry, Carlos Boozer. I will pay to re- get your house repainted just the way it was before. And he oh. did. They didn't have to go to court or anything. It was just like a nice little story of two rich guys doing weird stuff with each other. Let's get into the fun bag, Gabby. We ask, uh, we answer questions from readers uh, every week at, toward yes. the end of the show. And this one is from Matt. Matt asks, what's a song that was completely ruined for you by being included in a movie, TV show, or commercial? Gabby, is there any favorite song of yours that, that got ruined because you were like, oh, I don't like this being on the OC or anything like that? Hmm. Roth, can you answer while Gabby deliberates? The one that I was thinking of, and it wasn't ruined, but it was, I wish I had seen it sooner. This was a video that was shared in Slack. It was a Japanese zoo that has some wombats, and periodically they'll put some videos of those wombats doing different things on, you know, on social media. And the choices of the music that they put under the wombats doing stuff like just dragging a stick around and doing other wombat shit, they had one, and this was Barry shared it, there was just a, a wombat, I keep saying wombat, I'm aware that I'm saying it a lot. That's all right. It's a funny word. Good word. And it was just uh, 50 seconds of Black Sabbath's Paranoid while a wombat, like, kind of gnawed <laughs> on a stick and then just sat on its haunches. And it was... And I've loved that song for, you know, my entire life as a person who listens to music. I've never loved it more than I did as, like, sort of this ultra-abstracted music video yeah. for a large Australian uh, animal just doing its own thing. Yeah, that sounds so metal as shit. Yeah, it, it elevated a Black Sabbath song for me. It was that good. My, my answer is every song on the Garden State soundtrack, and I think that's that's Ooh. self-evident. So yeah. Uh, I, I like that Shins record a lot, too. I guess it's sort of the idea of associating it with, like, Zach Braff's personal journey towards Zach Braff-style enlightenment, I guess, would kind of take the snap out of some of the hooks. There. Well, he made that he made that movie specifically so he could show off how much he liked those songs. Like, that was like, oh, this is my iPod playlist, and don't I have such good taste? I have I go the opposite direction, by the way. I If there's something, a song I really like, and it's in a movie or even a commercial... I'm like, that's my song. Like, I get all excited. I'm like, oh, it's it's getting some recognition. Like, the struts were played, like during like a as the fucking bumper music for an NHL game once, and I was like, it's the struts. Oh my god, yeah, they made the big time. <laughs> they're in the they're the last ten seconds before we go to a fucking McDonald's ad during a during a Preds game. I wonder how it would be ruined by being included. And I guess if you like 
really hated the movie or the the commercial or something like that. There's always just a part of it, like, I think you'd have to hear it all the time. Like, it's like if you loved the, like, 1010 Win song and then you were stuck in a car in traffic and you kept hearing it, like, for traffic on the eights or whatever, that would be bad. But, like, that's, you know, I, I've not heard a song in a context that made me hate it. I think it's more, more that I get angry at the at the property for using it when I don't think they deserve to use it. Like the original, <laughs> like the original Charlie's angels movie, the original movie, not the TV show with like Drew Barrymore and shit. They used millionaire by Queens of the stone age in the trailer. And I was like, well, that's not, you're not worthy of that song. Who are you? Mick G. Yes. How dare you? Uh, Gabby, let's do one more. And it's, um, this is from Jack. He says, I'm turning 30 in May and I want to treat myself to go on a trip. I've lived in Wisconsin my whole life. I've had the means to travel for most of my life, and I've never been on a plane, so somehow I figure I'd finally cross that off the list. My original plan was for one of my best friends to join me on a trip to Washington State, but due to some unforeseen circumstances, they can no longer join me. I still want to take my trip, but now I'll be alone. And my question is, what tips do you have for someone who is taking a solo vacation for the first time? Do you have any ideas for destinations or any tips for him, Gabby? I assume you're a business traveler of some, with some experience. Oh yeah, I mean maybe because I'm we're talking Northmen, but Iceland is always in that delightful trip. Alone? Could you do it alone? I think you could if you rent a car. Well, yes, that is true. You yeah, could. I haven't done much ambitious traveling alone. Like in terms, I'm always going to like meet somebody or going there for some reason. I feel like I would be able to do it, but the idea of just like spending a week making like just eating for one in restaurants, I feel like could be strange. It, you know what, it's, it, I, uh, when I was abroad in 1997, I joined some friends during spring break for like a Eurail trip around Europe, like the standard, like your, like the movie Euro trip, except not, <laughs> not nowhere near as like as venturous as what, I didn't like fuck anybody in the Vatican or anything like that, like they do in that movie. So, but at one point my friends had to go back to wherever they were in Europe at the time. And I was alone and I went to con by myself and barcelona by myself and it's very weird when you're like when you're 20 doing this because you're supposed to be partying but you're kind of stuck alone so you're not like like i didn't go to nightclubs alone or anything like that like i think i went to the movies in barcelona and like i ate by myself but it was like i'll never forget it like i'll never forget like i could eat whatever i wanted and i could do whatever i wanted and it was like i think it's okay to forgive yourself for being alone like to not feel guilty that you're traveling alone. I think that's the biggest thing is that it's okay to spend time with yourself somewhere new and you don't necessarily need to have someone else with you to, to appreciate that. Um, I, I feel like that's true always when I'm on, away on business. I'm like, I get to go to a new city and fuck around and take it in for, for myself. Gabby, do you have any tips for our man? Oh, that's good. Yeah, I feel like I travel for work alone. Um, and I'm always like, oh, I'm an independent businesswoman. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, two days in, I'm like, fuck, I want to hang out with people. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think cities are, are particularly well suited because you can get around pretty easily and just sort of meet people naturally if you're, you know, at a bar or restaurant. Um, it's also a lot easier now because you have your phone. So like 1997, you're alone in Europe. Now, unfortunately, and fortunately, you can just kind of if you're feeling lonely, get on social media or whatever. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's kind does, of a drag. I mean, it, but it does, it does like, it does save you like when you're, you know, when you're stuck in an airport, the way I was stuck in airports all day on Saturday, I had a phone. So who cared? It was, it was fine. I don't know. 
I feel uh, like the idea of being on vacation by yourself on your 30th birthday and then just like looking at tweets while you're at dinner, like don't do that. Like if you're going to go by yourself, like enjoy the, you know, the time and the space and like do not let my posts be foul your uh, 30th birthday experience and journey. <laughs> Just unfollow uh, me, I guess, is what I'm saying. You can follow other people if you want. I'm just, I'm going to make it worse. Uh, Gabby, we have to close up and, and wrap up the podcast. Anything you want to add or plug before I get to the closing credits? Hello? Gabby, you getting us? And you know what, Gabby? This? this is the perfect okay. time for you to have audio problems because the show's over anyways. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna just go right to the credits, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye. Okay, Brandon Nixon, Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to StitcherPremium.com. Use the promo code Distract. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at. And you know what? Subscribe to GQ, my old stomping grounds, where Gabby Paella is doing some of the best work you have ever seen in the realm of long-form magazine writing. Gabby, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Bye, everybody. See you.